Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on driving innovation, how to foster a culture of innovation within your team. In it, you'll discover how to set the correct context for innovation, how to structure processes that cultivate innovation, and more. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod244. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to the CMO and co-founder of Penji, which is an on-demand graphic design service that's fast, simple, and affordable, and it's been named a top startup to watch. Prior to Penji, he founded multiple marketing-related startups and worked for Apple. He also is a fellow podcast host, so he hosts a show called Blind Entrepreneurship, and he's based just across the river from me, uh, a little bit south, I suppose, in Camden, New Jersey. We are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Grishbowski. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, I just shared some of the highlights of your bio, uh, but that's obviously not all that you are as a person. So I'd love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Maybe talk about where you develop the passion for what it is that you do, and what are the key stops on the journey to get where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the culmination of where we are today in this exact moment in a world of uh, very interesting times has been a lot of trial and error, mm-hmm. has been a lot of grit, has been a lot of um, an unwillingness to fail, but also provide a reliable solution to people that people legitimately benefit from and can use. Mm. Um, That wasn't always the case. I will be perfectly honest. We, when we were a digital marketing agency prior to Penji, we were delivering services to people that, um, dare I say, was very unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. So we were a marketing agency that did SEO. We were a web design and development and we were delivering all these websites to really large businesses, but never actually felt the uh, the benefit of help uh, or that that satisfaction of genuinely helping someone. Mm-hmm. And when we were losing clients and we were gaining feedback from happy clients, they always gave us the feedback that our design was incredibly uh, well done. And we knew that the graphic design portion, or excuse me, we knew that the agency model wasn't the perfect fit for us because of, of, of a lot of different things. But we wanted to set ourselves out and say, well, what can we do in order to help the masses? Mm-hmm. And then we stumbled across the idea of on-demand and unlimited graphic design. Um, and now we're able to help thousands upon thousands of people worldwide. We're, we have a client on pretty much every single continent except for Antarctica, but who knows? <laughs> that, that could be a goal in the future. There we go. Um, yeah, and, and we're just we, we finally created a solution that people legitimately are drawn to and need. And I can get into the whole idea of how we were able to assess and find that out later on. But that's kind of just the core is that we, we never had a solution that people wanted or resonated with. We found something based off of research and studies and, and data and then created a service specifically around that in order to help people. I love that. And that's something that I think a lot of people maybe don't understand why they feel dissatisfied about what it is that they're doing. And sometimes people feel just that sense of, of general malaise, you know, um, yeah, and, totally. and to really think about, do I feel like I'm contributing to the world? Do I feel like I'm satisfying 
something that people need or want or are looking for, especially if maybe that thing isn't readily available in the market overall. Yeah. It's it's so satisfying when you can do that, when you feel like I have the perfect puzzle piece that just fits in that last spot um, for somebody. And uh, mm-hmm. I love that you that you kind of went on a journey to get there, but that you also based it on data and on research and really analyzing behavior to, to figure out exactly what that is. Because sometimes it's easy you know, if people ask you for X, Y, Z and you just give them X, Y, Z. But if, if you're not getting those clear requests, sometimes you have to do the, the research and the investigation to figure out what exactly is it that, that might fill a need in the market. Before we even launched Penji, we surveyed close to 250 people or so. Mm-hmm. And what we did was we asked a very simple question of, and these re- kind of resulted in like friends and um Uh, like Facebook friends and personal friends and network friends and things like that. Um, What is the biggest challenge that you have from a a marketing perspective? Um, What do you have a hard time finding? What is most of your, your time being spent? Uh, What is it, what is it doing? And we started categorizing and, and assessing the information. Our initial inkling when we first started the business was that startups would love our service because our, our service starts at uh, around $400 a month. Mm -hmm. Um, but they ended up being our worst customers, believe it or not, really? later on as we, as we actually grew the business. Um, but we basically said in the very beginnings, if what are your problems, what do you need help with? A lot of people said graphic design help or generalized marketing help or execution. And then that's when we created the service Penji. We did everything for the first year and a half, I'd say, without any type of technology and used literally like very primitive ordering system called pen and paper. <laughs> um, and then we just kind of did the the designs based off of the, uh, an as needed basis that the customer gave us. Then we finally um, had a little bit more data, had several customers to kind of assess. And then we built the technology around that. And to this day, we're constantly making tweaks. We're a very data-driven company. And and it's allowed us to kind of speak directly to the to the to the potential prospect, and so now we're not able to just say, "Hey, do you need graphic design help?" We're able to kind of speak to the exact person that we know is going to use it, um, and speak their language and say things that might entice them to want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gone a long way, and that's been able to help us scale a lot faster than. Uh, dare I say, our competitors, uh, but also just in general as a company, we, we understand our customer a little bit better and it's based off of the research, it's based off of the data. Definitely. And that kind of leads into my next question, because you are a bit of a serial entrepreneur yourself, and you founded a number of different marketing adjacent or marketing related companies. And I'd love if you could share with our listeners, what are some of the lessons that you've learned over time about how to grow a successful business? Um, well, I think in general, creating a number one is creating a project that creating a company that, um, that legitimately helps people. I think that's number one. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is some of the things that I've, I've also learned is that you as a leader, when you hire people, you have to be able to let the people that you hire either succeed and fail as an entrepreneur, I think it's very simple to be able to even as a human being, let alone an entrepreneur, uh, when you give somebody a task, you might believe that you could do it better. Mm-hmm. And, and then you grab the task from that person and then you do it yourself. And then the person doesn't actually learn from it. 
Um, to this day, I still have that problem. So it's not, def it's definitely not perfect, but I would say I've learned that if you give somebody a task, you're hiring this person because they are better than you at that particular job. I'm very good uh, at assessing what I am and what I am not good at and then finding people based off of uh, who can help me do better or grow the company in a better way than what I'm able to do. Um, a couple of other things I think is from a sales perspective and even from a growth perspective is giving tasks in a very clear manner. Um, I would say that our training materials are rewritten probably once a week Wow! because you find this like new thing that needs to be done uh, or this new problem that comes up into your, your business. You need to educate the team about how to solve this problem. Um, you can come up with a million and one ways in order to uh, tell a particular person to do a job, mm -hmm. but it's always going to grow. And I think the thing that I learned specifically is I wish that I was a little bit more detailed in the beginning of the process. I was kind of very vague. Um, so for example, the task could be uh, send a hundred emails a day in order to obtain five sales, mm -hmm. right. Or, or leads or whatever that is. Well, what does that person do as soon as they come into the, into the workplace? Um, what are they sending? Are you tracking what they're sending? What happens if they have a, a question? Where do they go to for that question? Um, and, and like the list goes on and on and on. So what I did was, or what we did specifically is we, we, we assessed that and said, okay, well, how can we be as microscopic as possible? And so our training goes very simple like this. Clock in for the day. <laughs> Turn or turn computer on. Log into Slack. Clock in. Um, check email. Make sure you're at inbox zero before you begin emails. Send email. What email do you have to send? Well, this is the script or whatever it is. And so it, it went from like a very generalized way of doing your day to day to a microscopic. And now you're we at least are a little bit uh, able to to hold that individual accountable because they have the proper steps in order to make so. To kind of like recap everything I said, I would say ego is a, is a big thing, creating the right solution, and then just making sure that um, you're providing very clear and uh, concise details uh, and, and a job for the person that you will inevitably hire. I, I really love that. There's so much in what you said, because you know, if we take those three big kind of categories, uh, you already talked a bit um, in your in your personal journey about having a business that actually helps people, right? Um, providing yeah. actual value. And that's something that most people can relate to. But a lot of times what happens, um, and I see this a lot in founders who are at very early stages of building their yeah. businesses, they have an idea, they have that spark and their understanding of that idea is very focused on their personal story. Why did they think of it? Mm -hmm. um, what can they do that's unique? And some of them build a product or a service or an offering because they are the ideal buyer for it. And they think this is something I need and want. Mm -hmm. They already did some of that work. But if that's not the case, if you mm -hmm. just thought of this really cool thing, right, and you, and you want to do it, taking that time to just put yourself in the seat of who do you want to buy this and why would they even want to buy it? And, and if you can't do that... Um, you might need to reevaluate your idea because it sometimes you might need to just throw it out altogether, but more often you're just going to need to figure out how can I make it something that people would actually want and need. 
Yeah. I would say that we were our first customer mm -hmm. when, when we were, uh, the, the agency was the first customer for Penji. And then it turned into a lot more than, than just that. We used Penji within our agency to test out um, all these different things like the software before the software was released to customers. We used it before we shut down the agency itself. So yeah, you're 100% right. That was exactly us. Um, the agency was the first customer ever of Penji. And we really wanted to make sure that before we gave it to the world, that it was something that agencies and, and other content-heavy organizations need and, and can do and actually obtain benefit from. So yeah, usually the most problems do come from a legitimate problem within the business. That was the case for mm -hmm. us. Um, and I personally believe that those are the best businesses. Uh, usually great ideas um, are great ideas and they're ideas for a reason. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should execute on it just because it's a good idea. I think uh, in the in the long run, you will most definitely feel underwhelmed once that idea, uh, once you hit a lot of uh, holes and once you hit, hit a lot of like trials and tribulations mm -hmm. um, because that passion will, will die. Definitely. Um, and, and that's good and bad, of course, because then it's a learning experience, but it, let it sit for just an idea uh, and let it be. It doesn't mean you have to make it profitable. Um, but if obviously if it is a, a legitimate problem, um, I personally would recommend to don't even start a business until you have a um, hundred people that you've interviewed yeah. and you shouldn't go out and seek funding or you shouldn't go out and try to raise money or even um, uh, obtain like any type of technology or software processes, procedures until you're able to obtain at least 10 customers. And that ultimately depends on like what your business does and who it is. But for the most part, if you're able to obtain 10 customers, if you're able to get uh, over a hundred people in terms of data, I, I think you actually have a legitimate um, thing on your hands. But I, I do see a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of business people just kind of go in on passion and passion is not going to get far. It's going to get you to that point, that fork in a road. And then the fork in a road, you're, you're just going to be left at that fork because you don't know how to move forward because of all X, Y, Z reasons. Definitely. And I, I love that exercise of just talk to a hundred people because you're going to validate a lot of your assumptions and you're going to be challenged in a lot of ways. And they're going to come up with um, just sometimes just little tweaks, sometimes big changes that you would have never thought of. And so that's a that's a very reasonable number. Um, and it's something that also is gonna is gonna give you time to really to really think because you can't talk to a hundred people in, in you know a day or a week. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and something else that I think um, is is also part of that you mentioned. Sometimes people feel like their passion is is dying down, and that is really where if you feel a sense of the value that you're giving to people, the contribution that you're making, that can instantly regenerate your passion and your engagement. And I find um, whenever, you know, if, I, if I'm just even having a day where I feel a little demoralized and a little um, disconnected to, you know, if you have an email that you got from somebody that you helped, or if you have a success story that you can remember of somebody that really experienced significant value from working with you, reviewing those can just provide so much energy and so much um, motivation to keep going. Well, I want to add on to that. So yes, I do slightly. I do agree with you too for most of it. Mm -hmm. um, however, I want to add a very uh, an asterisk in there that 
it's really easy to be motivated by one individual that likes a particular project or product or service or whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's good to allow yourself the ability to be happy and, and, great, and gain that euphoria of that one customer or so. However, in order to base a decision that's going to be potentially um, affect your business, I would say that you need at least three, five, or dare I say 10 um, validation markers in order to move something forward. Um, in the very beginning of my particular career, I was so heavily, uh, I guess the word is passionate, um, about one particular individual saying that they like this particular thing and then influenced by others that say that they hate other variations of, um, of a product. Um, it's easy to be able to have that shiny object syndrome where you just want to grab and change it. But uh, I, I would actually recommend to people listening and entrepreneurs to actually write down every time that somebody says something nice and then say something bad, put a marker on it, and then don't do anything about it until that fifth person hits. And then that way you have a little bit more of a, of a number to base your decision off of as you grow the business. I love that. And thank you for that asterisk because you're right. Um, there are going to be individuals and... Um, one individual perspective and opinion should not drive your entire business. Um, it, it, validating it with with additional feedback, um, you know, one person might spark an idea that then you need to explore with other people. But you don't want to you don't want to swing too wildly back and forth. Um, another of the key things that you had talked about, Jonathan, is the idea of documenting tasks. And I love that example that you gave of where sometimes you start out and you just tell people make calls. Um, and then you wonder why aren't they making calls or they are making calls, but they don't seem to be making the right calls or they're not making calls in the way that I have. And the clearer you can document things, the more clearly, um, the, the more detailed that you can be. To me, um, that's kind of the idea of building a, a playbook for selling. And Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that you said that you're updating it on a regular basis because I think a lot of times people think I develop a sales playbook as a one-time activity, um, but it sounds like you view your sales playbook as something that needs to change consistently. Um, yeah, I actually, it's funny that you use the word playbook because I actually have a document on my desktop that's called playbook. <laughs> Um, and this was prior to the people listening that she had no idea, Elizabeth had no, no idea that I had this. Um, but yeah, I actually use a word, uh, a document called playbook that has all the information that I need in order to succeed as an individual. And then also a playbook in order for, for training. Um, if you're trying to grow a company, especially our size, uh, which is pretty much around hundred people, uh, we training is the epicenter of all things um, success. And if you're not able to articulate the idea or the way that you need in order to um, give somebody a task, then you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money, and you're even more disrespectful to the person that you just hired because they're going to have no idea what what the KPI is in order for them to succeed. Um, so I think that's incredibly important to be able to do that. Um, is to be able to just like write it down on paper for me or even even uh, record like a video or mm-hmm. record like an audio version of it um, and then maybe do like a, a zoom video where you're recording the screen and you can articulate this is how to do it this is what your screen should look like on a day-to-day I mean people nowadays are visual people are are, are uh, they want to be able to read things they want to have a book 
Um, but you don't know that until you ask your team. So everybody learns differently. Um, and I ask the team on a daily basis, like, what do you prefer? Do you, I, I personally prefer a video, right? So I, I'll gladly talk to you until you're blue in the face, as you could probably tell by this conversation. But for the most part, if that's not how people learn, you have to adjust. And I've had to adjust a grave distance, a, a lot, because our team aren't actually visual learners as I am. So I had to literally articulate every detail um, um, in a written format in order to educate the team. Yeah. And, and that's so incredibly important. Um, we develop playbooks with our clients. So that's why the term playbook came came to me. And it sounds like your idea of a playbook is almost exactly what, what ours is as well. And addressing the different ways that different people learn and grow is so incredibly important. And recognizing that the way that you like to process information might not be the same as the rest of your team. That enables you that that second thing that you talked about in in your three main bullets before is being able to delegate you know being humble enough to delegate and being um, flexible enough to know that people might do things a little differently from you and if you've done a really good job of documenting the best practices and training your team and you have a playbook for them that that gives them you know, the clear guidelines of what, what are the absolute must-haves? What are the, what are the, you know, the deal breakers? And then where is there potentially room for flexibility in style, right? We're going to present you the information in three different ways so that you can learn it the way that best fits you. Um, Or we can give you, you know, you must mention these three things on the call, but we're not going to tell you the exact words you have to use for your entire script. Giving people enough guidelines, that as a, as a leader, especially as a founder, um, where you feel like I know everything and can do everything because you probably can um, in your business up to a certain size, it, it gives you the, the freedom to feel like you're setting people up to succeed based on really clear documentation as opposed to just throwing something to somebody. And, and, and then you really are setting them up to fail. Yeah, I think... There's a lot of thoughts there, and I'll try to un- un- yeah, unravel sorry. it just a, just a just, No, no, it's not your fault. Um, it's more so like when you're talking all the things that popped up in my head. Um, I think it's really – I think a lot of people get angry or mad or disappointed and blame people um, uh, for the wrongdoings of the founder or for the, the manager. And I think a really good leader, a really good founder is somebody who's able to blame themselves first mm-hmm. and then the team second. So, for example, if you give all this documentation and what you believe is it's, 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 it's so easy to understand um, and then the person tries to, to do it and then they don't, I, I would say your first reaction should be to blame yourself. Uh, you set them up for failure, not uh, they didn't set themselves up for failure. Um, and vice versa, if it was success, you, you let them take the, 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 the success and you sit into the, the foreground and, and understand that you had a little bit to do with it, but they had a lot to do with it. Um, I don't know if that answered the question, but that, that that was just like the overall like arching theme of what I was thinking when you were speaking. No, absolutely. And that's so, that's so incredibly powerful is just a big philosophy is, um, you know, some people I think have, have moved to a, a state in their own personal kind of development where they do take the blame first. Um, and sometimes that's not accurate, but if you are the leader, especially again, in those early stages of a small company, um, Blaming other people is going to create a culture of fear and a culture of hesitation and a culture of um, dependency because people are then going to be afraid to do anything 
Uh, and so a- as a leader, if you yeah. can just say, you know what, this went wrong and a lot of people contributed to it, but it's my fault because I didn't scope it properly or I didn't train you properly or I didn't give you the information you needed to be successful. That takes that weight off the shoulders of the team and that really helps them um, be more available for, uh, you know, ideas. They're going to be more innovative. They're going to be more thoughtful uh, because they know that um, that you're giving them the space to, you know, make some mistakes on, at times without uh, exploding. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah. Now you, I mean, you're, you're spot on. I don't, I don't have too many thoughts on, on that, but I think what you said is like a hundred percent spot on. Definitely. And, and, that, that just kind of came out of, of what you said. So I think that's so valuable, you know, just that um, if we were to say that the big principles that you have of, of focusing on the customer, but also focusing on on documenting and developing stuff and training a team so that you're setting them up to grow is um, is foundational. The, the thing I did want to talk about next, so our listeners are probably hearing that maybe our audio quality doesn't sound as super studio professional as it might on times. Um, and that is because we are both recording from, from our home studios. Uh, in the last few weeks, we have seen a lot of changes in the world around us. Um, we're recording this in early April, and uh, the podcast is going to go up within a week of the, uh, about a week after the recording. And due to everything that's happening with the spreading coronavirus pandemic and the economic fallout, there are a lot of companies that are finding themselves in really difficult and challenging situations. Obviously, this is the first time this exact thing has happened, but I'm sure you've been through diff- you know, different challenges and, um, and difficult situations as a business. So is there any advice that you would recommend for entrepreneurs who are going through especially challenging times? Well, I think it's really frustrating seeing the current economic downfall where people are just randomly firing people and, and paying themselves mm-hmm. first than, than their team. Uh, I'm the type of person that believes that you should eat last as a leader. Mm. Um, but obviously there's economic downfalls where that just can't happen. So I'm understanding of that. Um, I think we in particular are in a very interesting setup where we're built for something like this, mm-hmm. where when people are going through economic hardship, um, is your business set up in a way where it can thrive? And not all companies can do that, but I would say if you're not able to survive this, then in the end, like, is the business actually, was it really a profitable business? Did it actually legitimately help people? Because if it does, then for the most part, people will use it, even if they are going through um, some, sometimes I know a lot of businesses that have gone under friends of mine. And after assessing it, it, you could tell that it did help people. But at the same time, the idea wasn't longstanding. It was just a business that was potentially thriving based off of what America once was and not what it is or, or what it will become. So I, I would say that if, if your business legitimately helps people solve a problem, whether it's people, consumers, et cetera, uh, consumers or business, then it, it will go through that. But in terms of like a management perspective, um, I think you should be transparent with your team. I think you should be open and honest and tell them, tell your team exactly what's going on um, all in real time. We're very transparent mm-hmm. with numbers. We're very transparent with um, the expectations. Every team member is aware that they're not going to lose their job over this because of financial reasons that were set up properly. Um, but also we've played the long game. 
uh, from the very beginning of our business. So if you're able to think more long-term and strategy to outlast your competition, then you'll have a, uh, a, a strategy in place that's going to set you up for success in the future. If you are thinking a little bit more short-term and how you can raise money or how you can gain cash immediately, I, I don't think that your business is going to survive through anything, um, let alone just a crisis like this. So what I would say is prepare, make sure your processes are in place, um, and then let nature, nurture, whatever you want to call it, um, fate uh, to, to kind of just uh, do the rest. But if you put that initial process in first, I think everything else will naturally fall into place for you. Yeah, definitely. And and there are certainly um, some kinds of businesses. Like if you run um, an event production business and it's legally not possible for people to have events happening, um, it, it does make sense that when a disaster like this happens, that your business is going to be especially challenged. But if the thing that you produce and sell is still something that people are able to buy right now, and you're seeing significant, significant challenges in your business, that can be a sign that maybe in the past you you didn't think about disaster preparation. Because um, some parts of this, like, you know, moving to remote work for, for most people, um, that's something that could have happened at any point in your community. There could have been a significant weather event, for example, that might have caused that. Um, I know here in New York uh, and, and in New Jersey, back when Hurricane Sandy hit, there were some companies that could pretty easily just transition to remote work for, for employees for you know a few days or weeks um, as, as time went by. And then there were others who really couldn't make that happen. And I think anytime you experience a small challenge, and I, I'm not, I don't want to say Hurricane Sandy was small. Obviously, it was really significant for, for everybody impacted. But anytime you experience any challenge and see the pressure points that it puts on your business, see the friction that was created, that's a great opportunity to think about, okay, if a situation like this were to happen again, how could I potentially respond differently? And how could I um, set myself up to get through it? And then there are going to be the complete black swan events um, that, that, you know, overtake us. But um, you're right, just having that, having a plan in place that can address hopefully most of it, and then being open and transparent with your team, that's so incredibly powerful. A lot of times, I think leaders feel like, if I'm uncertain about what's going on, if I feel like I don't have 100% perfect information, I should wait until I have that perfect information mm-hmm. before I communicate with the team. But what you don't understand is you're feeling a certain level of stress and uncertainty, and they're feeling even more because they think, you know, what's going on at work? And so even just telling them, you know, we don't know everything that's going on. We're not 100% sure, but here's what we do know. That's an incredibly powerful thing to say as a leader. Absolutely. Yeah. I. I think the, that level of transparency is hard to find mm-hmm. um, because people don't want to feel vulnerable. People don't want to put themselves in really bad situations. Um, but, you know, I think you just have to be able to assess, especially now, day by day, what's happening today is going to change tomorrow, um, most likely at least, or in a week or a month from now. Um, after this entire economic down, down spiral, I guess you could say, um, I think the businesses that are going to survive are the ones that have those processes and procedures set up in place and have that level of transparency and trust within their team. The ones that uh, don't uh, survive are pro- most likely the ones that, that may not have that, that level of transparency. Um, but, you know, every business is different. <laughs> and, and this is, I'm just explaining my story and I'm explaining how, how we 
are going through this troubling time and it's very unique. Definitely. Um, but uh, I personally have conversations with every single one of our team members. Mm. Um, and that's, and it's not like a general chat, right? Um, it's really easy to be able to uh, go up to your Slack channel and make a video and say that some bull, I don't know if you can curse, but some bull crap, like a motivational video. Um, that's not like what, that's not what leaders do. Right. And that doesn't make you make people care about you mm-hmm. more. Um, I can easily just record that video and say, you know, everybody, you're going to be amazing, but there's people who are legitimately scared and have kids and have families and are afraid of losing their job and afraid of their parents or their significant other losing their job because of that. And being able to go in and talk to each person on a personal matter and going and, and, and communicating through a DM and just asking them, like, how are you doing? Um, how are your kids doing? Knowing the kids by name, remembering the kids by name, having the right structure in place where you can remember those each individual's kids by name. Um, it goes a, a really, really long way. And, and it builds the trust and loyalty that you would need in order to, the, to grow a company. Um, so yeah, that was just like my, my, my thought on that. Definitely. I think that's, that's really powerful that personal one-on-one connection and just checking in with people and really asking them about their individual situation, because you're right. I mean, you might find, uh, you know, generic listener or, or you, Jonathan might find, um, I I'm fine. Um, my spouse or my partner is fine. Um, we're able to, you know, if we have kids, we're able to take care of them and, and we're in a pretty good place. And you think that other people are, are similar to you, but you might have an employee whose partner or spouse, um, lost already lost their job. And, you know, you're still paying them, but their family's economic situation is very different than it was before. Or, um, you know, they might have a really complex childcare situation that's that's making it really hard to to focus. And only through having those one-on-one conversations will you even discover those challenges. And there might be sometimes ways that you could help um, or even just providing a listening ear or giving people a little bit of flexibility in the hours that they're working. You know, I, I was talking to a friend Uh, the other day. And she and her husband are kind of switching to shift work a little bit. She works for most of the morning Mm -hmm. while he takes care of the kids. And then he works for a bit and she takes care of the kids. And they're kind of trading off. And they both, you know, got uh, approval for this from their managers. And they're finding that this is helping them to, you know, stay sane as a family and make sure that their kids who are are young and and need, you know, constant uh, interaction and attention are being appropriately cared for. And so, as a leader, you won't even know if you need to offer that to somebody until you have that one-on-one conversation. It's really not about being like a visionary, look at my amazing video, but but about that one-on-one connection. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think that goes a very long way. Um, and I think the level of, again, trust and transparency that you can now have. Um, it, people. Re- so something that I've been thinking about is like when during this time, people will never... I don't know the exact verbiage that I'm trying to say, but they will always remember you of how you handle things Mm -hmm. when they're at the highest level of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, They might forget everything else that you've ever done, but they'll remember that. And that's kind of what I'm thinking about at all times is like, uh, what, what do I want to be remembered for? What do I want these people to have that lasting impression? At the end of the day, you and I all want to be listened to and we want to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we're human beings after all. Right. So um, 
if you're able to provide that platform for people to listen, um, then, then do whatever it takes in order to do just that. Definitely. All right. I want to switch gears just a little bit because, um, as I mentioned in the intro, you host a podcast of your own called Blind Entrepreneurship. Can you tell our listeners about your podcast? Um, yeah, it's actually a very interesting point in time in my life when it comes to the podcast. Um, I don't know. I can tell you what it is now, but I don't know what it's going to be in the future. <laughs> I think it'll. I think it'll actually change. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's an interview-based podcast where we talk about people that are blind in business and how they overcame those blind spots. Um, it's very topical driven. So um, I'm looking to help in sales. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get over the, the crisis of what we're currently in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about those blind spots and how one individual uh, learned from that situation. But I think in the future, uh, I want to go away from interview driven podcasts and uh, share uh, different ways of, of, of stories and still remain that topical conversation. Um, but I can tell you why I created the podcast, which I think is probably more beneficial than, than what the podcast is. Definitely. And, and that's, uh, actually two things, the sales approach. So the, the first thing was to meet people because entrepreneurship is incredibly lonely. Mm. And in order for you to talk to people, in order for you to network, I hate networking, like going to networking events. And so I figured if I created a podcast, I could meet cool people. <laughs> um, and that ended up doing a lot of good for me. But now the state of podcasts, uh, people just want to jump on podcasts just to jump on podcasts, and they don't want to necessarily want to nurture a, a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I say that is because if you are an individual looking for sales uh, and looking for meaningful relationships, I think a podcast is the number one way to do so. Um, I think it's the most intimate way. Like I will never forget this conversation. Um I'll never forget you. I hope that we can build a relationship after this for many months and years to come. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's just a really strong way to, to work your business, regardless of what platform, regardless of, of, of what industry you're in. You being able to talk to somebody to share their story, I think, is incredibly valuable. And how you do it is, is up to you. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, you know, the way even listeners experience a podcast is so intimate. You know, you're hearing somebody in your ears as maybe you're walking by yourself or as you're, you know, washing dishes or cooking dinner or or commuting and and whatever it might be, the different places and ways that that people hear it. It it feels like you're part of that conversation. But um, as somebody who who hosts a podcast myself, um, I took over hosting this show uh, at this point. Uh, about a year ago, I guess a little bit less than a year ago. And um, the the number of people that I've been able to develop relationships with and um, and you continue those conversations, like you said, and whether it's that you have a, a distinct interest in a specific thing, if you want to, you know, um, expose more people to your business um, just so they can they can share it in the world. Or maybe, as you said, um, you're in a very lonely position as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, and you want to build a community of people in that same boat so that you have um, kind of friends along the way. Um it's, it's such a great way to connect with somebody when you have, when you sit down and have an in-depth conversation. So um, I'm sure our listeners will, um, will be interested in checking that out and, and learning um, that, that whole model of understanding what the blind spots are that people have had and how they've gotten through them. Um, even like, what was that moment that created the wake up call? That's, um, that's a really powerful thing. I think many of us 
learn and grow in our lives because we we recognize that we've had a blind spot. And whether it's pointed out to us from somebody else or a situation occurs in life that um, that causes us to recognize that it happened. And that's a gift. And some people don't even know that they're yes. in, a, in a bad spot. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, as soon as you're able yeah. to to recognize the blind spot, you've already made the first big step toward um, exactly toward resolving it. You know, they always say a problem named is a problem solved. And I, I truly believe that that's um, that that's true. 100% agree. All right. Um, as we as we wind things down, we know that a lot of our listeners are big readers as well. So do you have any books that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, I'll give you a quick story about a book. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a book that, that revolutionized and changed my life, so to speak, but it's a book that reminds me of, of, like, of the type of person that I am. Um, and it was called Never Get a Real Job by Scott Gerber. It was, the, it was the first book that I ever read about business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened was I read the book. I got really inspired, motivated, so to speak, passionate about leaving my job at Apple and starting this crazy career of entrepreneurship. And I ended up tweeting the guy and basically saying, hey, talk me off the ledge because <laughs> I'm about to quit my job. And if you don't tweet me and I don't talk to you, then I'm probably going to quit my job. Um <laughs> And, uh, and so he never responded, right? So you quit your job. (laughs) So I quit my job. Yeah. And I ended up doing, you know, what I'm doing, obviously you heard the story. And then, um, a couple years later, I started a podcast as you've already mentioned. And, and I, he wrote another book, um, called super connector. And he, uh, I, I, and I messaged him, I said, Hey, do you, do you want to jump on my podcast to promote your new book? And he agreed <laughs> in live on air, live on air. I, I screenshotted the tweet that I sent him <laughs> and I showed him, I showed him live on air that I tweeted him uh, in 2013 and that he never responded and he laughed and apologized and, you know, et cetera. It was a really good back and forth. <laughs> um, but I say that because it was a really interesting point in time mm-hmm. where he developed a level of respect for me and I've always had a level of respect for him and him and I uh, actually became pretty good friends because of it. That's amazing. And, <laughs> yeah. And he's a, you know, really highly respected individual if you Google him mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that's like a reminder for me to always stay curious and as a reminder for me to uh, don't limit myself to, um, to the person that I was to always dare to be different and explore. Um, that's just a reminder for me. Um, and I, and I hope that other people have affiliations with other books that are similar. I think the way that books are written nowadays, it's a lot of self-serving, but if something does legitimately like impact you, I think you should let that person know. Definitely. Um, It's really easy to get in touch with an author nowadays with Twitter and other social media platforms. So why the hell not just say hello and and introduce yourself you never know what can come through absolutely what what can come out of it excuse me yeah no even um even just you know i write ebooks and blog posts and when you get a real thoughtful piece of feedback about how somebody internalized what it is that you wrote and um and it made an impact on them that's so affirmational as a writer who's putting thoughts mm-hmm. out into the world. So um, yeah. that's, that's amazing. I love that, that he's kind of responsible for where you are. So you wouldn't have even have had your podcast to interview him on if he had responded to your yeah. tweet. 
So, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> life is life is fascinating. All right, Jonathan, I have so enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, head over to Penji, uh, Penji's website, Penji.co. Um, if you like the story, if you like gain any value we uh, of this conversation, we'd love an opportunity to to win your trust and earn your business. So. Uh, head over to penji.co and uh, hopefully that you'll sign up and, and work with us in the future. Definitely. And we'll we'll include a link to that in the show notes as well as um, a link to your podcast for any listeners who, who want to find it. Although uh, most of us who listen to podcasts know how to search on podcast apps and find things by name, but you never there know. You <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, um, Jonathan, so much for speaking to me today. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 244. Be sure to tune in on Friday for another inspiration. Don't forget to check out my presentation at the International Institute for Learning's Leadership and Innovation Online Conference. Uh, remember that it is open through June 7th, and you can use the code Frederick, my last name, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, for $10 off your registration. Uh, there's my presentation is on nurturing an innovative team, but there are all kinds of other excellent uh, presentations as well. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling! <laughs>